this week's episode of Tech Enabled, we're joined by Jessica Robinson, co-founder of the Michigan Mobility Institute, Detroit Mobility Lab, and a partner at Assembly Ventures. New technologies are serving as a catalyst for transportation within cities and regions. Mayors are experimenting with self-driving cars and fleets of self-driving taxis. Fleets of school buses were used during COVID not to transport kids to schools, but instead to bring much needed meals to where kids were located. And data from Waze and other technology services are helping cities understand traffic patterns in real time. Jessica helps us understand these new technologies and innovations, as well as how they can help cities plan for more inclusive growth. Welcome, Jessica Robinson, who is a co-founder of Michigan Mobility Institute, also co-founder of Detroit Mobility Lab, and co-founder and partner of Assembly Venture. So welcome. Thanks, John. It's so good to be here. Okay. So first of all, not only do you have as many titles as I do, different roles, but you also have this amazing, fascinating sort of background. Talk a little bit about your journey to this point. You're right. I have been in a lot, particularly recently. (laughs) My journey into the world of mobility started about a decade ago. I made an interesting career choice to leave my previous role in world in 2008, which feels actually very similar these days. And I started at a kind of a crazy concept at the time called Zipcar, car sharing. The idea that you can break down access to car versus owning a car. So I started with the organization in a marketing function and had, frankly, a really exciting opportunity to both grow my career, but also really get into a much deeper understanding of how mobility impacts our community, but also us as at a personal level, how we spend our money and how much of our money we actually spend on transportation here in the U.S. So I was very lucky to, again, move around with the company, grow up with the company in some ways. and. I moved to Detroit, which is home for me now, with Zipcar. And we were launching the market here in the region. And I frankly just kind of fell in love with the community and the, the people that were here. And I saw a lot of the investments that were being made in the city. And I wanted to be part of it. So I've been here about eight years now and have continued to work in the mobility field since. Most recently, before co-founding all of those organizations, I was actually at Ford. I was part of the Ford Smart Mobility team, which was a new group inside the company focused on its mobility services. But more specifically, it was everything from autonomous driving, software for public transit services. There's an e-scooter company we supported really quite a broad portfolio. And the work that I did there, I was director of a group called City Solutions. And I had a team focused on North America, really looking at building out relationships with city level officials, occasionally at the state level as well, to make sure that they understood what we were working on. But many times their engagement and support was really critical for getting the services to market that, that Ford wanted to develop. So I've been about a decade now working on mobility. Amazing. And so... Talk a little bit about like these three different roles right now, the Michigan Mobility Institute, the Detroit Mobility Lab, and then your new venture, Assembly Ventures. But like, what are these three different things? So three organizations really all focus on a similar goal, which is allowing 
me and by extension, our partners to continue to invest and grow various aspects of what we call the mobility industry. So the Institute is hyper-focused on talent, education, and training for the future of jobs in this industry with a specific focus on the Detroit region, both from a skilled trades level all the way through graduate degrees. The Detroit Mobility Lab looks a little bit more at ecosystem and the other pieces or kind of the, what does it take to have fertile ground for mobility entrepreneurship in the industry more broadly to continue to thrive. And then Assembly Ventures is a venture capital arm that enables us to invest in mobility companies globally based out of our office in Detroit and Berlin, but to leverage those geographic offices to make introductions on behalf, again, of, of mobility entrepreneurs more broadly. So we think of it as three legs of a stool, again, all focused on mobility. Got it. And so, I mean, for some folks that are listening to this, mobility is a bit of a term of art for the area you're in and the industry that's discovered. But what falls underneath mobility? Yeah, the term mobility has really evolved over the years. Early on, it was kind of mobile phones or potentially ADA assistive devices. Today, we really use the word mobility to talk about the movement of people and goods. That's most frequently how you hear it discussed. I take a little bit more of a broad view. I also think that data is really important, both data that powers movement and frankly, the data that's created by movement. And we're also really interested in the movement and the energy supply behind things as well, both for electrification of vehicles and others. So we think about the movement, but it's also not just A to B. That's, I think, traditionally what we've thought of as transportation. And increasingly in mobility, we're seeing the ideas, the companies that are coming forward. There are other ways that they're creating value and capturing value. So it might be around sustainability. It might be a new creative business model that breaks ownership like we had in car sharing, or it might be a focus on equity. And so it's both of those two pieces that come together that I think define the mobility industry today. Gosh, so fascinating. Obviously, I mean, based on what you were just describing, all those issues are top of mind for mayors of cities as they're thinking about the flow of people, of goods, of services, with, especially you know, with transportation. So like, what, what are the big mobility challenges mayors are confronting right now? Yeah, I think there's two answers to that. There were the trends that were top of mind before coronavirus put things on a hold. And I think there's a set of trends that have emerged as more important post-coronavirus. And so previously, earlier in the year, I would say a lot of mayors, particularly in the U.S., were thinking about things like e-scooter policy and making sure that the new mobility services that were rolling out in their cities weren't just in a particular geographic area, that they were distributed in a way that was meaningful to the entire community. I think at the state level, many governors were thinking about funding infrastructure packages and how to, how to move things forward. That's certainly true here in Michigan. I think now, post-coronavirus, or as we return to work, there's definite funding questions all around in terms of city-level budgets. What does that mean for transportation? I think a lot of them are starting to look at what does it mean for the future of public transit specifically? 
and how it be funded, but frankly, where should this service run? I think we've seen really interesting data come out about the communities that rely most on public transit. And I think our mayors and governors will really need to stay focused on that. I think another really interesting trend that's emerged is connecting communities to food and food resources. Certainly during coronavirus, we saw a lot of effort and emphasis put on these kind of mobile food pickup centers where you've seen these long lines of cars backed up as people drive through. That only works if people have cars. I think that's one of the the challenges that's emerged is you have these centralized hub and spoke distribution models for food that don't necessarily work when your community is experiencing transportation challenges. And so, you know, those are some of the things that, you know, we see as trends and I'm I'm pretty sure that they're top of mind for our mayors and governors too. That's a great point. We saw a number of cities use their school bus fleets as a way of reversing that distribution. Mm -hmm. So instead of people coming to the distribution sites of using school buses to deliver food to different sort of pickup points in other areas. Yeah. And I think the other thing with school buses you raise is I do think cities in particular will look at their real estate footprint differently, particularly as we all wonder aloud, what does it mean to return to school in the fall? And there's already some ideas that had emerged before about using schools as more of a community site. Mm -hmm. with other services. And I think that that's possible now if mayors start to look creatively at all of the assets that they have. You mentioned before about mobility is not just the movement of people, but also the data produced by that movement. What are some examples of that between data collaborations between cities and various types of mobility providers? Yeah. So this data question is one that I, I really love, actually. I think that we're starting to see some exciting best practices and projects come to bear. I would say 10 years ago, there was a a lot of skepticism on the private sector, particularly among startups of how to collaborate with a city or a regional transit agency, and and frankly, some fear and, and some trust building that was required. But we're seeing progress now. So I think of a couple. The first is there's a organization called Transit App. And so they write the software that sits on top of the public transit system and can do things like route planning or ticketing. And it integrates with private services as well, maybe ride sharing or bike sharing in the region. And so their software lets you plan your, your trip, in this case, from point A to point B. During the coronavirus response, Transit App has open source just a ton of data around who's using public transit what's happened to peak trip times. The peakiness of of demand on our bus routes is flattened in some cases. Turns out we're commuting in different ways. People that are still working right now are coming home later than maybe someone with an office job would consider their peak commute. And so Transit App has made all of that information available on a portal. They also did a very interesting survey, pushed to riders to ask them, how they're doing right now with coronavirus and what's changed. So there's the qualitative data of the rider experience, but there's also all of the quantitative, both for any one transit network, but also an operator can compare across different networks to see how his or her agency is performing. 
There's another project that I worked on when I was at Ford. It was the Open Transport Partnership. And the idea was really focused on creating a new data standard that defined curb space in cities. Now, this is, gets a little dangerously nerdy here, but the idea is very simple. That very precious real estate that so many of our communities have next to the curb that we usually think of as parking, there's so much demand for it. And it's tapered a little off right now with a reduction in people using ride-sharing services. But it's picked up in other ways as curb delivery and curb pickup for restaurants has taken off. And so this data standard really looks at creating definitions that are consumable by a transportation service, like a ride-sharing, potentially like an autonomous vehicle. So it knows the rules of the road in your city or in your county and can behave accordingly. So the bad behavior that we all see of someone waiting in a bus stop with a human driver waiting in that bus stop because they know the space is available, this data standard kind of breaks past that and says, okay, these are actually the areas that, that you can stand in or use for other areas. And it lets a city administrator have a, a time element. So it can be one thing during the day, one thing during the evening, and potentially another in the weekend. That project was really interesting in that it brought a number of entities together to agree to use the standard, including some of the larger ride-sharing companies. Other companies, you mentioned like, I mean, everyone's getting accustomed to grab-and-go and food delivery, but would like Uber Eats and DoorDash also fit into that standard in terms of like knowing like drop-off points or to signal to the city like where there's more heat maps almost, like where there's a higher activity of dropping off food? It absolutely could. And it could let the city, again, experiment with flexible zoning if it wanted to do these curb areas. There's other startups that are trying to commercialize this now Mm -hmm. as well. That's the beauty of the standard is once the, the data piping, if you will, is kind of in place, then it lets public sector define the rules of operation. And I think that's really where we get to both with this data question, but more broadly, in these public-private partnerships with mobility is the public sector is increasingly defining the rules of operation, the rules of engagement, and entrepreneurs in this space increasingly are more savvy. It can be beneficial to partner rather than come in in an antagonistic way. So cool. You and I were talking earlier too about ways cities are partnering with Alphabet and their ways subsidiary, which a lot of people use to get directions and to navigate traffic. But like, what is the data from ways that cities find valuable? How are they using that? Yeah, so the, the Waze data, they have this program called Connected Citizens. And as you're driving around using the Waze app, it's throwing off data that's anonymized. And if your community, it's typically at the, the city or the county level, signs a data sharing agreement with ways they can access this aggregated anonymized data. And it focuses primarily on congestion. But one of the interesting things that Waze has also done is they've actually taken a step toward investing or supporting infrastructure investments. So if the community has tunnels or bridges or something that were spotty and didn't have good cell phone connection, Waze will actually partner with the cities to upgrade infrastructure so there's good connectivity throughout, kind of benefits everybody. 
But with this data, the city planners are actually able to better understand hotspots again during rush hour or otherwise. And I think maybe it seems like congestion is is less of a concern right now. But I, I think we will see there's already information coming out that people are concerned about shared rides, they're concerned about public transit. And so for those that own a car or have the means to purchase a car, as they start to return to work, there's actually a risk right now of changing what we call that mode share back to personally driven vehicles. So congestion actually could get worse at peak times during the day. So Waze, again, is a way for the public sector to keep an eye on all that traffic and look at the changes over time. Yeah, I would assume just get almost like real-time data and the trends and forecasting. So amazing. So cities, you know, you were just mentioning that as we're watching cities reawaken with their economies, people start going back to work. We also know like mayors and governors are going to be faced with this Herculean task of trying to reignite their economies as well. Like what are some ways that this moment of crisis can be a catalyst for advancing different types of mobility solutions. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of effort around economic development. There's going to be various forms of stimulus dollars coming in that will allow governors and mayors to do things in a catalytic way or to do things in a very different way than have been done pre-COVID. Like, What are some suggestions you would have for them? Yeah, a couple of thoughts here. The first is the coronavirus slowdown really brought front and center the unequal impact of both the disease and the response on different communities, particularly black and brown communities and women in the workforce as well. So I think that in these questions, our mayors and governors have to grapple with that, where maybe with other priorities, it was was rolled in before. It's really front and center now. Budget, obviously, is going to be a huge piece moving forward and how different initiatives are funded. But I think as it relates to restarting the economy and where mobility fits in, one of the areas that I've spent a lot of time looking at recently is how mobility will change the workforce given certain technology trends that are happening. And I think that time really suggests to me that mayors and governors should also be looking to the the higher ed community college and university system as partners in a way that they haven't been before. Most of our states have some form of a workforce development program. I would say that there's a real moment right now to partner in a completely different way with the educators that are already in place. They're you know, facing their own budget deficits. Everything's had to move online. And I think increasingly the workforce channels, but even individual learners are gonna take a hard look at if I invest my time in this program, what's it going to get me? And so if there was any fluff in the system before, I think it's, it's going to be pushed, pushed out right now. You know, here in, in the Midwest, we know so many of our state's economies are driven by manufacturing. And that's a really, I think, critical base point to start from. But we also know that these new companies, whether it's mobility or even just local firms, they are the ones that actually are the net job creators. And so in these questions of restarting, again, Midwest Rice, it, there's this overlap of manufacturing, transportation, mobility, and evolving tech ecosystems. 
And I think that there are opportunities to invest in supporting those areas as well. I love it. You were just talking a little bit about Waze and some of these other providers that just have real-time data. How could a mayor use that as a way of helping us steer some of their economic growth in an inclusive way? Because you just mentioned that the way COVID has hit has been very unequal in terms of the communities of color, low-income communities. And then the economic consequences of this has been very unequal. So is there opportunities for a mayor to use some of this real-time data to kind of drive or target some of their economic development? I do. I think there are. And I think this is where the mobility data question evolves, where in the past couple of years, there's been this focus on getting as much data that the transportation system throws off into a portal that can be used. I think now there's a chance to bring in other data sources around, you know, maybe employment levels or level of education engagement to target specific programs to, you know, focus on very specific communities. I do think given the state of state budgets, that there's also a real opportunity to look at data in terms of infrastructure investments, both in terms of prioritizing what has to be repaired and doing that triage, but potentially also on the flip side, as new investments are made, potentially if we have a federal infrastructure package that comes through, looking at investing in technology as we do the build out that will integrate data into the systems so that they can actually be administered in a smarter way over time. Love it. All right. So we're at time, but any parting advice that you might have for governors and mayors as they're thinking about all these different issues, mobility, challenges and solutions, their economic growth, inclusive growth, any parting words of wisdom for them? I would say the one thing, John, that we haven't talked about yet is the question of place. And our cities and our communities have an important character all their own. And there are lots of people wondering aloud right now, what's the future of the city? Some think we'll all be able to work remotely and there'll be sprawl. I think it's not that simple. But we are seeing a lot of communities look at the amount of space that's allocated towards road and road infrastructure. And there are many examples now of roads, sidewalks being potentially permanently repurposed for a different use that's more aligned with the community. And this does not have to be big city stuff. If you think about restaurants reopening, are they allowed to put tables out on the sidewalk, which is actually beneficial in terms of public health? That's a very different use of that space than I think any city would have considered before. And I think there's a chance to do it in a way that's creative and potentially fun or inspiring that gets people excited to come back out and you know be part of their communities again as we all think about what the future looks like. That's a fantastic. It is a design challenge, which is going to be amazing to kind of see how people solve. So thank you so much for joining us today and also for just all the amazing work you're doing. Appreciate you. Thanks so much. Thanks, John.